That jarring mix of themes old and more recent tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast where three lifelong, grumpy, middle-aged Doctor Who fans discuss, enthuse and occasionally criticise the televised, novelised and audio adventures of our favourite time-travelling hero. And we're back. We promised you a Cyberman special a few weeks ago and we're giving you a Cyberman special. You might remember that on our website, we asked uh, readers and listeners, what's your favourite Cyberman story? And there was a poll and we have the results of the poll. And we will get to the top three stories in just a minute. But first, I'm going to introduce my co-conspirators. Say hello, Davey. Hello, everyone. It's David Steele here. Hello. Say hello, Kenny. Hello, Kenny. I love that joke. It never fails. It's always funny. Every, every single time, it's funny. <laughs> Is it funnier than Dimensions in Time? <laughs> Let's not mention that. Honestly, the number of number of people out there in the Twitter sphere who actually have time for Dimensions in Time, I just do not believe it. It's just bizarre. <laughs> it is a crime against humanity. Dimensions in <laughs> crime. Oh, yeah. But let's not do. Let's not go there again. Uh, I I suspect there's likely to be a lot more consensus on on this particular episode, which is a bit dull, frankly. So we'll try and have a few arguments about something or other. But we've got the top three, the the three most popular stories according to that poll, which of course is not definitive. And there are some surprising results. What, what, without going into the, too much into the, the, you know, the cliches about Doctor Who monsters, you know, Cybermen being the second most popular, the second most established. What is it about Cybermen that we love? I love Cybermen. They're my favourite monsters by far. I think it's the fact that they're like us, but they're not like us. Um, They want to take us and make us from our individuality and make us all uniform, which is something that throughout my life I've never been one to to do. I've always been one to be a bit of a non-conformist, whether it's my choice of music, my choice of clothing. Um, um, your, choice of, always... your choice of doing unboxing videos on, on Twitter with no shoes or socks on. Well, it was a warm day. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've, I, I've never been one to, to conform. So for me, I'm quite happy to go with the Cybermen as my top monster, the dehumanisation of them, the fact that we can see the face, but it's absolutely blank. No movement or anything like that. Yep, for me, they are excellent. I like the Cybermen because it's, it's you know, there's a, of course, the design has changed a lot over the years, but the design of them is so iconic. And the handlebars and the head and the light and the chest unit and stuff, you know, they're, um, they're just, yeah, iconic is the only word for it. And I remember when I was a kid, the first couple of years I was watching Doctor Who, the Cybermen and the Daleks, they didn't turn up very often. Not like not nowadays when every series it seems they were there was they were a monster I was aware of long before I ever saw them and they have such, you know just the visual impact that they have is just phenomenal. I think the Cybermen are often as a design and as a concept you know, that Kenny's just described are often I think better than the stories they appear in, but they're um they're just so cool and you know you think about all those those photographs from stories like the Invasion or you know Revenge of the Cybermen when they look they just look so effective. We're of a generation, Dave, that. And obviously Tom 
lived through the glory days and saw them in the 60s when they were you know, at least twice a season in the Trouton years, it seemed, for a while. And they're just such a, a great-looking monster. I mean, they're never quite what you expect, when you, especially when there's no consistency to their voice, unlike the Daleks, who obviously have their trademark staccato speech. But the Cybermen, you can never quite work out. Now, have either of you seen the clip on Twitter with two of the Cybermen dubbed into German? No, no. It's got the confrontation with the, the cyber controller saying, you belong to us, you will be like us, and it's in German. And it just looks like a weird 1950s German sci-fi movie. It's incredible, just the, the sound of the voice. It's different again, but my God, it's great, worth looking out for. Well, if we can find, if we can find it, we'll try and tweet it from the Power of Three Pod Twitter account, shall we? That sounds good to me. I don't know if, if in your... Uh, trek through fandom, either of you have ever come across a very, very old uh, daily record article. I, it was the only paper that we used to get in the house and I was very young but I remember reading it because it was a profile of Kit Peddler and of course the reason we're interested in speaking to him is because he wrote Doctor Who and co-invented the, spy, the, the Cybermen, you know, said the Spiderman there. And it was, he had become by this point, as far as I can remember, he had become a bit of a hermit and a bit of a survivalist. He was obsessed, of course, with, uh, you know, the tendency to people to replace arms and limbs and organs. And that had gone to a new level. He had constructed a, a Range Rover, his own bespoke Range Rover, entirely with the body entirely made of wood, and he called it the Wormwood Express and claimed that this would last much longer than all these metal cars, right? He, I remember in the article, he, he talked quite a lot, quite vociferously against um, eating white bread, which I seem to remember he said that it was best suited for using his ceiling tiles rather than his food. <laughs> And interestingly, he predicted that in years to come, people would grow a resistance to antibiotics or that viruses would grow or, or you know, diseases would, would, would develop a, a resistance to antibiotics, uh, which of course happened. But this was years and years and years before that ever became a thing. Um, now, here's the question. Is Kit Pedler still with us? Oh, no, he, he died, died a long time right. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I can't be sued then if I've got any of those details wrong. <laughs> um, anyway, that was, I just, I, I would love to find that article again. It must be somewhere in the Daily Record archives, but it was, it was just an interesting insight to the mind of somebody who was so involved in, in developing such an important mm. um, character and with it a message, of course, because there always was a message with, yeah. uh, with, with the Cybermen. Anyway, that's, that's enough to be getting on with. No, you're right, you're right, though. I mean, the Cybermen, let's be honest, they were very of their time originally, weren't they? Because organ surgery was in its you know, infancy in those days, sort of in the 60s, and it's, it's an interesting sort of extrapolation of where it would all go. It was, um, yeah. And, of course, you know, they, they, they tweaked that idea slightly when, when they brought them back in the, the David Tennant episode, you know, when it was all about upgrading. It was, yeah. um, they're, they're, they're a useful monster for telling sort of ref, very reflective stories. I think, in some ways, they're better than the Daleks for that, you know? We put every Cyberman story to the poll, and the results, they were quite surprising, guys, weren't they? Absolutely. I mean, not what I expected. Kenny mentioned about my very ancient age, and the fact that I can just about remember 1960s Doctor Who. I mean, I that, that's overstating it a bit. I remember 
individual scenes and images from the 60s. I can't really remember much more than that. But one of the images I do remember is a policeman being killed by a cyberman in a sewer. And that was from the invasion. And, and the invasion doesn't come anywhere close to, to topping our poll, which really surprised me because as you know, there were a lot of uh, second Doctor Cyberman adventures, so I was expecting one of them to get into the top three, which is what happened, but I thought it would be the invasion. I agree. It's, I think it's fantastic. It's, I mean, the Cybermen are almost like a peripheral figure, and, the, and it's Tobias Vaughn who's leading the way. Mm. But it's such a great story. He's played brilliantly. The Cybermen look fantastic, and just their sheer presence is sells them alone as a great menace when they're standing in the background, menacing Parker. Yeah, and and there's, there's all the St Paul's Cathedral stuff. You know, it's what yeah. I mentioned. It. They're just they're you know iconic again. Yeah. Let's have an agreement, guys. Let's try to get through the rest of this episode without using the word iconic. <laughs> How about ironic? I mean, I, 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 I use it as well because I can't actually think. There's sometimes it's in a very appropriate word, but we use Legendary, mythical. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There get are other, other get words. your thesauruses out, boys. I thought it was a thesaurus. Boy, my, get my synonym finder, you mean? Indeed. Very good, Davy. I followed that one. That was good. <laughs> I got up early this morning. Right, so so some of the adventures that didn't make it um, into the final uh, round were the Tenth Planet, uh, Tomb of the Cybermen. I'm surprised that didn't make it. Uh, the Invasion, as we've said, Revenge of the Cybermen. Nobody's really surprised that that didn't make it. It wasn't. It wasn't the best adventure, was it? I quite. I've got a bit of fondness for it because it was, you know, the first video release. It's yeah. surprising. When you watch it as an adult, it's um, it surprises and I think in equal measures, sort of the good and bad. I think. Yeah. And only one of the new Doctor um, Cybermen Adventures, and Kenny rightly says there have been many. Uh, one of them did make it into the top three, and we'll come to that in a minute. I wonder which it is. Well, indeed. Will we crack on and go to number three in the poll? We'll do it in reverse order. Yeah. That sounds good. Let's go. Pain. 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 Sorry, mate. Pain. I'm really sorry. reading the Wikipedia entry for World Enough and Time and the Doctor Falls. It's only me, isn't it? Wait, hang on. Wikipedia entry for World Enough and Time reads, World Enough and Time is the 11th and penultimate episode of the 10th series of the British science fiction television series Doctor Who. It's written by Stephen Moffat, directed by Rachel 
by Rachel and was broadcast on the 24th of June 2017 on BBC One. Episode received overwhelmingly positive reviews from television critics. And yeah. quickly, very quickly, The Doctor Falls, uh, the intro for that says, Doctor Falls is the 12th and final episode of the 10th series, blah, 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 1st of July, second episode, blah, 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 pretty much the same as the, as the initial entry for the, first, the last one there. Okay. Kenny, tell us about it. I think that this podcast has established quite clearly over the previous episodes that I am a huge fan of A, Stephen Moffat, and B, hugely, of Peter Capaldi. And here we have Peter Capaldi's two final regular series episodes. It's just, I think it's a beautiful, very, very clever piece of work which was, of course, slightly ruined by Dan Wooten of The Sun when he spoiled the big reveal as to who was back in the story, but we'll come to that shortly. Here we have the Doctor and his friends in the TARDIS, and we're including Missy as one of his friends, as they go about their business, landing in a spaceship, trademark Doctor Who kind of trope, you could say. Almost an iconic Doctor Who image. Ha-ha! <laughs> um, sorry, boys. And um, you just don't quite know what's going on because it's such a bizarre opening whereas we've got Missy proclaim herself to be Doctor Who and oh, um, I hate that. <laughs> really I thought it was so much fun cringe anyway I'll let you go on yep and of course before long Bill gets a huge hole blown in her tummy and just think oh my word this is not how you expect it to go because of course we did know at this point this was going to be Capaldi's last series and um, companions haven't always had happy exits when Cybermen around. Um, and then, of course, we see there's Bill gets taken away, her time's moving at different rates across the ship, which, fantastic idea. And we have Bill being in with all these mysterious shrouded figures. And, of course, we think, could they be? Of course, we know that they are because we saw the, the photos that were leaked earlier and of course the BBC press release and here we have a new version of the Cybermen from the 10th planet bizarrely given the term Mondastian Cybermen but um, we'll let that one go and here we have drama as Missy encounters herself later on we discover that the master is in fact the one played by John Sim a far more restrained down-to-earth performance from him very much running the show as the puppet master behind the scenes Particularly when you, and I particularly enjoy scenes that we have with uh, Missy flirting with her previous self. Rather good fun. And only the master could be such a narcissist as to do that. But let's talk Cybermen, as that's what we're here for. Here we've got three variants of Cybermen. We've got the 10th Planet version. We've got the Russell T version. And we've got the Moffat ones introduced in Nightmare and Silver. And yes, it highlights the huge differences between them, but also the similarities as we have them from different time periods. We've got, for me, one of the... It's just such a great story. Um, everything comes to an end, particularly when we've got Bill not realising that she has been turned into Cyberman and the Doctor Nardol treating her just as normal. Uh, I'm saying, we word for, again, Matt Lucas, who I just love to bits. I think Nardole is such a wonderful foil, a genuine, funny guy, not trying to be anything anything more than he is, and just going along and having a great time on their adventures. So for me, it's just an incredible piece. It just is relentless as well, particularly when the Doctor is on his own at the end, coming under fire from the Cybermen, which obviously makes him feel a wee bit unwell, and he goes back to the TARDIS for a wee rest at the end and has 
nice wee dream. Um, but it's just, um, it's, it's just so much going on. I think it's beautifully written, beautifully scripted, and some fantastic uh, drama from Stephen Moffat. I'm sure that I'm possibly too much with it because I'm sure that Dave will have some issues with it as we know that Dave's not always a big fan of the, the Moffat method in inverted commas. Well, before we go what? to Dave, uh, yep. let, me, let me ask you, uh, Kenny, you mentioned about, uh, you suggested it was wrong to call the 10th planet Cybermen the Mandassian Cybermen. Why, why is it wrong? I just think they're just they're the Cybermen from the 10th planet. It just seemed to be a, a derived term, a desperation to find a label for them. Oh, I see. Because they, they were from Mondas. They were from Mondas, but it just seemed to be a, it's been a, an invented term just to give them a label. And I just don't understand the need to give everything a label. Why? I think, I think, well, I think they did it because they were, they were highlighting the fact that throughout the whole series, the doctors, they were, that was them addressing the fact that the design has always been different. I think that's what they were doing there. It's, and this was the doctor going, ah, this is a Mondasian Cyberman, which explains why throughout the series we haven't seen them again or before sort of thing it's because this particular look for the Cybermen is unique to the ones that came from Wondas at this particular point it'll probably surprise you both that um this is you know this is my favorite Capaldi story I think oh. it's I, I it's you know you can't be that surprised I mean it's I think it genuinely it's pretty flawless yeah not a fan of the Moffat method etc but um and there's a lot of stuff in this which is familiar from other stories I mean it was a measure of how much, um, sadly, the, the 2014 series passed me by. That I, someone pointed out to me that um, they'd already done the thing when a sort of regular character, a regular cast member had been converted into Cyberman. And, and I was like, all right, of course, Danny Pink had completely forgotten about that because he hadn't made any impression on me. But I, I love this story. Watching it again a couple of weeks ago there in preparation for, for the podcast, I was... First time I'd watched it in a while, and I was I was just struck by it's just I mean it was almost like Stephen Moffat decided he was going to go out on a high. There's some stuff I didn't like. I mean there was aspects of Missy that I was never too fond of, but any negatives I have for this are far outweigh the positives. I mean stuff like um, Nardole's leaving scene I think is possibly the best leaving scene for a companion in the, the history of the whole series. It's, it's beautiful when when he's saying to the doctor, you know, I I can't do what you're asking me, and the doctor says, well. You know who's going to do a better job, you or me? And Nardo realizes that he has to do it. And when he that beautiful last shot when Matt stood in the doorframe and he says, "You know, you're wrong. You know, I'll, I'll never be able to think of the words or whatever it is." It's amazing. And then John Sim coming back. You know, he knows that he's he's the he's the he's the big guest star and he owns it completely. There's a scene that um, anytime I watch it, I just crease up at the bit when he when he's talking to Bill and he says, "You know, I'm going to be a woman soon. Um, is there any advice you can give me? Or I don't know." some old bras, which is just, you know, equal parts hilarious, but really quite sadistic and nasty. And it's it does a better job of, within the narrative, making use of the different designs of the Cybermen than the, the Witch's Familiar Dalek episode made about using the different designs of the Dalek. It made up plot point and, and, you know, you saw them evolving essentially in real time. And, you know, there's some big concepts, but they're done in such a way that obviously, you know, clever enough to keep the, the kids interested and simple enough that the adults can follow it. As I've said before many times, I wasn't too fond of um, the first couple of Capaldi episodes, the first couple of Capaldi series, but I, I loved him in his final series. I wish we could have been three or four years of, of um, the Doctor and Bill and Nardo. And again, Capaldi going similar to Stephen Moffat going out in a high. I mean, there's a scene when he when the Doctor walks out of the house and he can on his own and he says to himself, "Without hope, without witness, without reward." And I remember at the time just tearing up, saying, "Finally." This is a doctor I recognise, and he was he was phenomenal off the charts. Yeah, it's quite interesting the journey that Missy's been on, especially from having been psychotic and the doctor trying to 
make her just see the beauty and everything again. And she has, I think she's got quite a fascinating journey. The fact um, that she betrays herself. Um, and obviously we have uh, Missy killing the master and the master killing Missy, which is just the typical narcissist and um, the ultimate act that they can do. And of course creates that lovely time loop when we first meet Missy that she is building an army of Cybermen for the Doctor, which I think is a, a lovely subtle touch that's there because obviously the Cybermen are all on board the spacecraft for her to take command of. But um, the thing that I particularly enjoyed, I, I did mention there, the 10th planet Cybermen, the actual look of them, I thought they did a great job. Yes, they maybe didn't go for the original cloth type bodies, but what they did was great. And they do have that really quite creepy look and feel to them. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's Stephen when, um, when, I mean, you know, all props to Nicholas Briggs for, you know, for what he does in this story, because the scene when the um, Bill turns up the volume on the, the guy in the chair and it's like, you know, the voice is saying, kill me. That was just absolutely terrifying. You know, proper horror movie stuff. It was excellent. What do you think of it, Tom? There's nothing to dislike in this. I mean, sometimes I think it's, it's a bit boring to just wax lyrical about how wonderful the story was, but Kenny was right, and Moffat decides to go out on a high. I mean, this is among the best adventure yeah. of, of the series since it returned. Um, and everyone in it is just fantastic. Uh, it's it, it creepy, which sometimes the, the programme loses sight of, because it needs to be creepy, it needs to scare people. Um, some of the images that you're left with are really haunting. You know, the, 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 the patients in the, in the hospital wards who are in pain and uh, like you just said about, you know, the kill me thing. I always like it when the doctor kills off one of the companions. I always feel a bit cheated when they don't do that. Um, why, why that then? I don't know. I think it's because when I was a kid, I really desperately wanted my parents and other adults to take the show seriously. And sure. I think maybe I just figured that if someone was actually killed, then it would yeah. suddenly transform the show from a children's program to an adult one. Uh, and that's kind of stayed with me over the years. So I, I it, you and I have discussed this yeah, before. Because I mean, there's obviously, I'm sure I've seen the argument elsewhere when someone has said they shouldn't, it's dangerous to kill the companion. I'm sure Russell T. Davis said as much or something like that, that it's dangerous to kill the companion, you know, for precisely that reason, because it's a family show. But I, can, I, I would agree with you, Tom. It, it gives it an edge. It makes it a little bit more believable and takes it away from, you know, everyone gets out alive, you know. I, I used to, you know, be into American comics when I was a teenager and it always used to frustrate me that the cover would often show the death of Lois Lane or, you know, the death of the Hulk or whatever, you know, whoever it yeah. was. It was always, it was always yeah. pre, you know, preview someone's going to die. And of course, they never, ever did. Or if they did, they miraculously came back from the dead. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that couple of days. Do you, remember the, do you remember reading the, um, have you read, did you read a lot of X-Men? Yeah. Have we ever talked about, you know, when they killed off Thunderbird really early on in the run of the new X-Men? And yeah. I had on the cover, remember it said, not a dream, not a hoax, not an imaginary story. That's this right. And they actually did it and they went for it. And then I don't think he's ever come back, has he? No, I don't think so. I mean, um, he's he's one of the very few. I mean, um, mm -hmm. I know I think he's I think they made use of his brother as a, you know using the costume, but it's interesting because that's something that's that, as you know, I'm a colossal comic book guy. I think that's really sort of started to irritate me in recent years is that it's very much a revolving door when it comes to killing off characters in comic books. Mm -hmm. Now I don't know how many the Martian Manhunters died in the last twenty years, <laughs> but it's you know Doctor Who. 
generally hasn't doesn't really do that. You know, if, if someone goes, they they're gone. Yeah. But it's quite difficult to produce a story like this. <clears throat> and even if you didn't kill Bill, it's still undeniably a very adult story, a very creepy, very serious um, idea behind it. And some of the science fiction concepts, I mean, they are worthy of the best science fiction literature. It, it was yeah. just superb. I don't know if Moffat won any prizes for this. I don't know if the Nebula Award or the Hugo Award, or whatever, awarded the television shows, but he should be up for something after that. After that one, definitely, definitely. I think I think what really helped with the last series, he wasn't having to make Sherlock at the same time. So mm -hmm. you know, he was able to get his full attention. Um, he's got you know an actor who now fully inhabits and some you know, really capable supporting characters as well. So it's um. I, it's, I, I, again, unusual for me to say, but you know, I have no, no complaints about this one at all, beyond my irritation by Misty. I also quite like the fact that um, there's a nice wee nod back to 70s and 80s master stories with the master and his rubber mask. Yeah, did, I mean, did I, were either of you convinced by that in the slightest? I didn't realise it was him. I will not, I will not deny it the first time I saw right. it, because I was thinking, where's John Sim? And then, yeah. of course. Yeah, film me at first. Because they, they put a shot of the master, of John Sims master, at the end of the coming soon trailer at the end of the first episode. And there was a lot of people that sort of said, oh, they shouldn't have done that. It would have been nice to have the surprise. And which I agree. But also at the same time, you know, they want to make it marketable. They want people to tune in. So letting people know that John Sims is going to be around again is probably something that's going to do that. It's a difficult one. But um, he's, yeah. he's, he's amazing in that first episode. You know, so many really... Like when he, when Bill gives him a hug and he says, "Oh, you know, don't my heart," and she's like, "Oh," and he's like, "No, it's like your chest unit digs into my chest and it hurts." Basically, it's like you know, he's uh, uh, am I allowed one? Am I allowed a swear word, Tom? Uh, depends which one it is. I was just going to say, such a bastard. <laughs> yeah, I think you're allowed that. Thank you. <laughs> I think he's great, and um, I think it's it's a. Uh, a great performance, particularly his look in the second episode when he's got his master costume on, and he just he just absolutely looks the part. Particularly now he's got the beard as well. With you know looking that bit older, he can carry it off because perhaps maybe at the time um, new labour goatee beards weren't quite the look that Russell T wanted. <laughs> oh, so new labour's getting the blame for goatee beards now, are we? That's <laughs> so not something I've heard before, to be honest. Um, no, it's interesting because he's very, you know, I think we talked before about when what he does in the uh, Sound of Drums, I think it was called. Um, it's, he's, he's riffing on Tony Blair, absolutely. Yeah, but this yeah. time, this time he's, he's allowed to be a bit, you know, more of the master. And um, he's not having to be quite as manic as he was in B. Davies' last episodes. And he's, he's terrific, you know, all praise to John Sim. Indeed. Did I ever tell you about the, conversation, the drunken conversation I, I had with John Sim at a BBC reception? No, I don't think you did. No, Tom, tell us I, more. I thought I did. Anyway, it was, once again, it was a, the, uh, the special preview for Voyage of the Dam, and everyone was there afterwards at the party. Uh, so I had my picture taken with Liz Sladen, had a conversation with Bernard Cribbins and Tony Head. Great night. And I, <laughs> what, once, one, once I got... Drunk enough. <laughs> I worked up the courage to walk up to John Sam and say, ah, you're brilliant, mate. And he said, oh, <laughs> he, he said uh, well, thanks very much. He says, you know something? I think you'd be a great doctor. He said, well, I can't. I'm the master. I said, yeah, but it's science fiction. They could do anything. <laughs> and, and, and then he, he made his excuses and went straight for the exit. <laughs> that was the last I saw him. But anyway, I, I, I had a great night. I don't know about him. 
Yeah. <laughs> Bern- I didn't know you. I didn't know you'd met Bernard Cribbins. That's pretty cool. That's good yeah. for six degrees of separation. <laughs> no, well, that was the night. I have definitely talked about Ella Roy. I got a big stick with Rusty Davis, and he said in his diary years later, he said, "God, all these MPs, what with their <laughs> red wine lips, trying to get the photograph with me, I'll piss off." <laughs> anyway, at this halfway point, can I remind people to please listen to us and review us on iTunes? Only reviews if you've got something nice to say. Follow us on Twitter at powerof3pod.com, that's three as a number. And visit our Facebook page where you can leave comments and listen to all the episodes. And we also have a webpage, powerof3pod.com. Once again, you can leave um, messages there, you can listen to old uh, uh, episodes. And if we've got a poll up, you can vote on it. So thank you very much for doing that. And now on with the show. Number two in our countdown of the top three Cybermen stories. Uh, let's listen to an audio clip first. You must read this, Adric. Black Orchid. Why? It's fascinating. Such scholarship. Why should that interest me? What's the matter? I'm fed up. Why? I'm tired of being considered a joke. Oh, no one thinks that. Then why am I constantly teased? Well, everyone's teased from time to time. Yeah, but not as often as me. That's not true. No, and I suppose neither is the fact that whenever Nisra or Teagan ask you a question, you always find time to answer it, but hardly ever with me. Oh, look, Doctor, how am I to learn if you never find time to explain? Time? We have spent many hours discussing and debating endless topics. I'm just fitted in when it's convenient for you. All right, I'll make more time. No, you've said that too often before, Doctor. There will always be some distraction to prevent it happening. I give you my word. Just as you gave your word to Tegan. That's not fair. No, it never is when you're being criticised, is it? Just as it's never your fault when something goes wrong. Have you quite finished? There's lots more! Well, it can wait! Yes, but I can't. I'm tired of being an outsider, Doctor. I want to go back to my own people. Earthshock is the sixth serial of the 19th season of the British science fiction television series Doctor Who, which was first broadcast in four twice-weekly parts on BBC One from 8th to the 16th of March 1982. This serial marked the final regular appearance of Matthew Waterhouse as Adric and his climactic death with the final episode featuring unique silent credits in memory of the character. It is also the first to feature the Cybermen since Revenge of the Cybermen in 1975. The serial is mainly set on Earth and a deep space freighter in 2526. In the serial, the Cybermen plot to wipe out Earth where a conference of multiple planets are planning to form a military pact to defeat the Cybermen in a war. Now, we've talked about Earthshock before and yeah. I think it must have been the Periodation box set. No, we were doing, it was when we did scary stories. Oh, was it? Because I never thought that yeah, would be that it was scary. Yeah, yeah, Kenny's pick for scary story. Right, right. The one that terrified little me. Which is fair enough. Right, Davey, you tell us about yep. Earthshock then. Yeah, but, we've, you know, as, as we say, we've already talked about this story before, but watching it again, there's a few sort of things that I picked up on that we didn't really talk about last time. There's a very famous interview with Andrew Cartmel, several interviews with Andrew Cartmel, who was the, the script editor for the Sylvester McCoy episodes on television, and he talked about his memories of watching Doctor Who early in the 80s, and he said it was like watching a soap opera. It was like Neighbours with Roundels. And I think he must have been watching episode one of Earthshock 
because that, that's what struck me when I, when I watched it the other day. It was just really, it was, it was very interesting because I don't think at that point the, um, the characters' interactions and relations to each other in the regular cast had really been quite driving the narrative to that extent before. So it was really interesting just sort of um, having a laugh <laughs> at all the bitching and moaning and arguing going on in Sardis at the start. And then all the, the really clod-heavy... Um, info dump dialogue about the dinosaurs when when you know what's coming it's like all right yeah oh yeah if you hang a if you hang if you hang a dinosaur skeleton on the wall in the first episode you've got to blow it up with an antimatter powered freighter in the fourth episode so it was um it's quite interesting from that point of view and also it's the and i think we said this the last time we talked about it, it's the iconic cyberman story from my childhood because um you know they were monsters that, that i'd seen on book covers and, and heard about and but seeing them actually on screen again was terrific. Compared to the other stories that we've watched this time, the thing that's really struck me is how the Cybermen have real presence as characters, which I don't think they have in the, the other stories that we're talking about today. Like the um, David Banks, for a supposedly emotional, emotionless being, you know, he really has a real personality and it's, and it's a great performance. And it's, it's interesting just watching Again, Peter Davison playing against them. Peter Davison's always very watchable, but he's he's especially good in this story. And the thing that got me again <laughs> was just um that final scene in the TARDIS when um Adric is blown up and the doctor looks so shocked and Nissa is so overwhelmed that she can't help but laugh into Tegan's shoulder. It's it's something <laughs> else. I have one criticism of Earthshock. Two words. Beryl Reed. How did I know you were gonna say that? <laughs> Because I probably said it last time as well, that's why. <laughs> I mean, what were they thinking? I mean, they might as well have Nicholas Parsons and Ken Dodd as guest stars. I mean, come on. <laughs> as usual, I've got a smart-ass answer for that. You know, yeah, they, yeah, they obviously thought, I think, it, I think it tells us a lot about the nature of the freighter, that this is obviously a routine sort of fag-end sort of spaceship run where um, this older, slightly older lady who's probably nearing the end of her career, it's, it's, it's such a a routine, meaningless, unimportant sort of job that they give it to her just to kind of, you know, until she can hit her pension age or whatever. And there's probably <laughs> tons of freighters with, you know, senior pilots and captains that are just are just waiting for their retirement. So well, it's, well, it's well, you, mean there, you mean there are other freighters out there with Molly Sutton as the captain? Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. I'm surprised, oh. that, I'm surprised that Big Finish haven't taken up on that and done a whole... You don't think it says... ...captained you, by, by sitcom stars. You don't think it says more about... John Nathan Turner's um, eagerness well, to just have celebrity casting. I think it says very much that, but it's also worth remembering that you know she did a, she did a lot of really good stuff. I mean, what's that film, The Killing of Sister George? Have you ever seen that? Absolutely, that's the one, Dave. I was about to mention that. In, that, in, in, that is the only one. She did entertaining Mr. Sloan as well, and you know she had yeah. she had she had a career. Am I right? Is she in one of the Quatermass films, or am I thinking of Thora Hard? I think I'm thinking of Thora Hard. But you know, it's um. I guess Thor 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 another captain for another freight. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And, Pat, and Patsy Rollins uh, as well, and <laughs> and um Joan Sim, and probably mm. Diana Doors. I would quite like to serve on the Diana Doors spaceship. I can't lie. Um, Can I tell you, boy? I've lost my thread now. I've lost my. Right, that's okay because I'm going to tell you mm. Diana Doors story. All right. You haven't met Diana Doors, come on. No, I have not, but I heard this story, and I don't even know if it's true or not, but I hope it's true. Apparently, uh, she was visiting her hometown, and she was being given a big reception, and a speech in her honour by the Lord Mayor. But before the Lord Mayor spoke, he was told by his advisor. Now, you do realise that Diana Doors isn't a real name. Her 
real name is Diana Fluck, so just remember that. <laughs> and don't and don't mispronounce it. <laughs> so the mayor stood up and was very mindful of this advice. And with Diana Dorr sitting there, he said, I just want to offer a warm welcome to our proudest daughter, Diana Clunt. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I remembered the thread where, where I was in my thread. I mean, just, uh, you know, I, I agree with you, Tom, because we, Kenny and I were of an age when, you know, Beryl Reed was a, she was on a lunchtime ITV kids program with a, you know, a cartoon character essentially called Mooncat, you know, a puppet character. And so, you know, in a way for us, I was, I mean, I was nine when I was shopping out. Um, it made, in a way, it made it more, as, as a you know, member of the child audience, it, it made more of an impact on me because I knew who she was. I recognised her. It's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I've never really studied Beryl, studied Beryl Reed's career well enough to know when, you know, when the perception, perception of her would have shifted. But I think it's worth remembering. She did, like, a lot of good actors. She had done a lot of good stuff. Sometimes, Tom, you just don't appreciate the fun and stuff. And I'm going to give you a quote from the Doctor in this very story. When did you last have the pleasure of smelling a flower, watching a sunset, eating a well-prepared meal? Come on, Tom, find the joy in life. <laughs> well, if that's a direct question, um, yesterday. <laughs> I, I can't think the last time I smelled a flower, but I did trim, I did do a bit of gardening for my mum and my sister yesterday, trimming a few hedges and, and laying out some bark and all that sort and pulling up some weeds and stuff. So that counts for that. And, you know, I never know. I, quit, I, I never know. You from my back kitchen. I never know where our conversations are going to take us. I really don't. This is so bizarre. I think we'll draw a line under Earthshock for the time being because we have looked at it before, so a slightly shortened discussion is appropriate. Before we go on to... But Tom, no, Tom, no, 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 no. Before we go on, I've got to ask you something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tom, what yeah. is the heaviest Dalek story? Give us a minute. Oh, I know this. I know it. I've got it. I've got Excellent. it. Excellent. Tell us, David. Can I say it? Yeah. Uh, Kenny, Kenny, is the heaviest Dalek story density of the Daleks? It is. Hey. <laughs> 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 well, you're slipping about, Kenny. You're going to have to up your game to get them past us now. That's two in a row we've managed to guess. Damn it. <laughs> that was good. And... With that sophisticated intellectual discourse, we will go on to the winning story in our Cyberman poll. And we'll start with this audio clip from 1968. I I suppose you've come for me. You know our ways. Yes, I I thought you'd realise somebody did. I imagine you have orders to destroy me. Yes. Tell me one thing. Why did you order Duggan to destroy radio communication with the Earth? After all, that is why you want possession of the wheel, isn't it? You know our ways. That doesn't answer my question. He was instructed to destroy only the transmitting complex. Oh, I see. How interesting. Yes, of course. And presumably your large spaceship holds your invasion fleet. And the smaller ships can only enter the Earth's atmosphere by homing on a radio beam. You know our ways. You must be destroyed. Yes, well, I I was afraid you'd get back to that. The Wheel in Space was the seventh and final serial of season five of Doctor Who. 
It introduced Wendy Padre as the new companion Zoe Heriot. It also featured the first use of the Doctor's John Smith alias. Currently, only episodes three and six exist in the BBC archives, but on the 15th of December 2018, an animated mini-episode based on the first episode was released as part of the 25th anniversary event for Missing Believed White. It was produced by Charles Norton and directed by Anne-Marie Walsh, and this came to you courtesy of our friends at TARDISFANDOM.com because it's slightly more interesting than the Wikipedia. Was that right? That came from Tardis Fandom? Right, fair enough. I had to look at the two. This one was more interesting. Yeah, um, I think we need to bring the, the Tardis Wiki back. It's, it's, it's much more interesting. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, well, okay, I don't mind. That's, that's fine. Maybe next time, right? Wheel in space, eh? Okay, let's, we'll, we'll talk about the merits of the story in a minute. Can either of you tell me why, in a poll of however many <laughs> umpteen Cyberman stories, this was the most popular? Am I missing something? Is there, a, is there an obvious plot point? Or, um, You're missing four episodes, Tom. Way. Well, that's, that's another thing, right? So only two of the six episodes exist, and yet it's still top to poll. Are those two Maybe. existing episodes so sublime that they just wipe the floor with all the competition? I don't, I don't know. Get it. other, you know. It's the first story to introduce Zoe. So like, you know, our, a lot of our listeners are the massive, rabid Wendy Padbury fans. And who could blame them if that was the case? Or, or, you know, or was maybe Wendy herself, um, you know, stuffing the ballot? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I'll just text her. Hang on. Hi, uh, hi, Wendy, if you're a huge fan. Hey, Kenny, do you have Wendy Padbury's text message, uh, phone number? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> as for you this... You play a game. Is, uh, are you reading out your last text message to her? We could play a game. Well, no, I was going to suggest you could say, hey, Kenny, have you got so-and-so's phone number? And I can say yes or no. That's an interesting idea for a slot in the next series, in the next uh, episode. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll go for that. We'll call yeah. it we'll Kenny. Go for who's in Kenny's phone? No, we'll call it Kenny the Clanger. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Wheel of Space. Uh, not to be confused with Arctic Space or... Frontier in Space. Yeah, yeah, Frontier in Space. Yeah, anyway. Colony in Space. Yeah, Women's Space. It's a good story. I enjoy it. There's a lot of creepiness involved. It's once, as usual, for Doctor at this particular period, six episodes was just a bit too long for the actual story. It would have been more interesting if they kept it to four episodes. I love Wendy Padbury. I think Zoe's a brilliant um, character. Um, although I, by this stage, I was still missing Victoria. Um, I was very sad to see how it go, but it's always a good replacement. The design of the Cybermen is, is, is half decent. I, I wasn't particularly taken. I didn't think the story was all that strong, actually. I, and, and that brings me back to my kind of confusion about why this is, seems to be so popular among the, the people who took part in the poll. But it's, it's, it's a decent enough adventure, a wee bit overlong. Um, I enjoyed the, the climax of it, but... I wouldn't have put it in the top tier of Cybermen stories. It's an interesting story. I, I was really, really surprised at how much I enjoyed it this time. It was, I felt almost a, it was a weird nostalgia for when um, a simpler time when there had only ever been five Doctor Whos, you know, and everyone knew that Patrick Troughton was, you know, was the best. It was, um, I just loved how resolutely old school it was. I mean, and, you know, that's, that's, which is a silly thing to say because obviously it's a, a very early and very old episode but 
you know, it just made me nostalgic for my la my last big watch through of it all when every single story more or less bled into the next one and it was a serial drama rather than, you know, defined set of, you know, four episodes. Because you say, Tom, that six episodes is probably far too long. I mean, there's the first episode is just like, you know, interminable. <laughs> so little actually happens in it. You know, and from from a point of view of getting them from A to B, it, you know, it's you know, they really go around the houses. But I, I was I was impressed by, you know, by Troughton, I was impressed by by Fraser. Wendy was makes a really an instant impression. It's another season five story where they pitch up at an installation where, you know, with the guy in charge, Jarvis, just like, you know, Leader Clen and um is it Robson from Fury from the Deep, you know, when the guys in charge aren't really at their best. And it's, you know, there's a, a nice diverse cast which, you know, shows that Doctor Who was doing it a long time ago. I was just I was really surprised by just how satisfying I found it. There's some really, really good stuff for the Doctor in the last couple of episodes, you know, when he, he makes friends with Gemma and then and then she gets killed and he plays that out at the start of part six. I was I was really struck by how much I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to this time. And this was only the second time I'd ever listened to or watched it ever. I found it quite an interesting one. Like Dave says, the fact you've got the multinational cast way ahead of its time, Kit Pedler once again, which we had in 10th Planet um, and the Moonbase as well. Uh, and indeed, I suppose you could say Tomb of the Cybermen with the multinational international cast. Yeah. yeah, Ice Warriors too, yeah. Um, Obviously, there's uh, the ludicrous space science of the whole story. Let's possibly mention that briefly. The fact that there's been an explosion in the Perseus cluster millions and millions of light years away, yet it arrives within like 10 minutes. So um, it's, it's slightly crazy, that part. Um, but let's let's move on from that and look at the good things. Also, you mentioned um, Gemma Corwin. I was quite amused by the fact that um, in episode six, we get to see... A still of her lying on the floor when it's yeah. obviously been taken yeah. the, the previous episode rather than rehire the actor for a week just show a photographic still of her lying in the ground um the wonders of 60s television i mean that's um, that's, that's, that's no an interesting point though because that shows um they were that you know that highlights the fact that you know the production method at the time was that they were making it episode by episode whereas nowadays the actors are probably booked for the number of days that they're going to use them and they probably would have filmed a scene a shot of her you know lying on the floor and maybe interacted with her you know, but in those days it was you know econ more economic just to kind of use a caption slide other thing that um particularly like was uh, or noted was the fact obviously we're we're missing patrick Troughton in episode two after his bang in the head and it's quite interesting the way they work around it with obviously just there's yeah, another actor in in the bunk going oh and then <laughs> and sleeping so it's left to fraser hines to carry the episode and he's so good as a leading man fraser he's absolutely on top of his game and so engaging um the banter with the the various characters who come aboard the space station um i like the animated short it's a shame that it's only 10 minutes worth but i'd love to think that one day they'll go back and do the remainder and complete it as it's so well done with the servo robot and it's funny walking around and bleeping and clonking and bumping into things um i i like the wheel in space i wouldn't say that um it's anywhere near my favorite cyber story but it's in fact it's possibly my least favorite of the 60s cybermen stories but i can see a lot of worth in it and i find it entertaining and Yes, I would be delighted if the other four episodes showed up at some point. There's been a lot of rumours to that effect, I've noticed, you know, in the last year or so. I mean, I'm never sure what, what to kind of make of them. I mean, that was one reason I saw Put Forward why they didn't finish animating it was because they'd heard it turned up. Wouldn't it be nice if that was the case? Just imagine. 
I think we'll leave it at that point for the guys. So thank you for listening if you've listened this far. And remember to check in with us in the next uh, episode. So for now, it's uh, goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. I hope you found this episode to be excellent. And goodbye from me, everyone. Take care. Wear a mask if you're out. You, make, you know it makes sense. But not a Cyberman mask, because then you'll walk into the things. <laughs>